The following podcast is a proud member of the Blue Collar Roots Network. Find all the shows by visiting bluecollarroots.com. Think of this show in this way. Rush Limbaugh and Howard Stern had a child, and that child grew up to have a podcast about building science. This is the opposite of that. Here's Bill Spohn. Welcome back to the Building HVAC Science Podcast. It's been a while, a little bit of lapse in time, but we're back here in 2022. I think you know who I am, Bill Spohn. If not, just look me up somewhere. In today's episode, we'll be speaking with Brian Gaudio. He's on a mission with his company, Module Housing, and their tagline really says it all, designed for people and the planet, powered by offsite construction. That's modular construction. And that's actually where I became aware of Module when I was taking a factory tour for the factory that ended up building the house that I live in, Sunnyfield. You can follow us on sponehome.com. Take a look at the show notes to connect with Brian or visit his website at module-housing.com. Now let's tune in to what Brian has to say. Remember, this interview was recorded in July of 2019. Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. This is another one of those episodes that I'm doing in person. I rarely do them in person. A lot of it's over the internet talking to somebody who's in a remote distance, different times on whatever. Today, I'm happy to be in Pittsburgh, my hometown, speaking with Brian Gaudio, CEO of Module. How are you doing today? Good. It's a nice day, and we're sitting here in the first house. So, The first house, the first Module house. So give me a little bit of background on Module. What is the company about? What are you guys trying to do? We started Module in 2016, and the goal of Module was to make well-designed, homes accessible to the average customer. We felt that the majority of the product that some of the large home builders were selling didn't necessarily serve the needs of the 21st century home buyer. A lot of the building product that's out there is oversized, we feel, and overpriced. And that may make sense for the bottom line of the builder, but it doesn't necessarily reflect the needs of this 21st century home buyer. So we started researching and looking into who is the 21st century buyer, and we found that there were a significant difference between the households of the U.S. today versus what was being built. For example, the number one household in the U.S. is a single person living alone. Number two household is two adults living together, and that's about 50% of the households. And so there were markets or portions of the housing market that just weren't being served by the typical home builder and what the typical home builder thought the customer needed. You think about a millennial who's getting into the age of home ownership, probably doesn't have kids yet, maybe has a dog, maybe they have a partner, maybe they don't. They don't necessarily see themselves in a five-bedroom house with a two-car garage. Same thing with a lot of downsizers. So there's some baby boomers whose kids left for college. They're now empty nesters. They're asking themselves, how do I get less house, not more house? So there are parts of the market that were unserved. So we felt that was a big opportunity. But at the end of the day, the goal of Module is to redesign home ownership for the 21st century and really, as a company, will represent the ideals and the needs of the actual housing occupants and the people who are going to purchase our housing products as opposed to the bottom line of a developer. How did your company start? I mean, was it an idea, a project, like two people getting together? How did it really come about? It sounds like you've done the research to validate, but how did it really start? 
just reel the genesis of. Yeah. So it started, I was living abroad at the time. Oh, cool. I was in the Dominican Republic. I was working at a university there and I knew I was going to move back to the US. And I had a couple of options. I could go back to the architecture firm that I was working for. I could continue working in the Dominican Republic at this university, or I could try to do something new. And I had this entrepreneurial itch. I've always <laughs> had it. Friends of mine were entrepreneurs and it felt like a good breaking point to try to start something. So I decided to move back to Pittsburgh with the intent of starting this company. And that was in end of 2015, I moved back to Pittsburgh in the spring of 2016 is when we started. And we really started as just working at a coffee shops, libraries, and trying to understand how to start a business that was not a traditional sort of small business in terms of, hey, let's go. The typical contractor gets into the game where it says, all right, let me go flip a house and start from there. We were trying to think about how do we change the way that houses are built and designed in the US. So very much top down which is a different kind of business than just starting to get into the residential house flipping business. So you mentioned you were thinking about going back to an architectural firm. So what's your background? What's your training, your experience? So my background, I'm trained as an architect, went to architecture school. I worked in a couple of different areas. I spent time, I was in Biloxi, Mississippi, interning at their at an architecture firm there called the Gulf Coast Community Design Studio. They started after Katrina, mm -hmm. so in Biloxi, and did a lot of disaster rebuild, affordable housing. So spent some time there. Spent a little time at Walt Disney Imagineering designing the Disney theme park. So oh, their really? blue sky wow. R&D department. So no budgets, kind of <laughs> the complete opposite, super creative. And then did a Fulbright scholarship in the Dominican Republic. That's Congratulations. Thank you. So we were doing green infrastructure research and looking at how cities were growing and developing. But really what kickstarted this idea was a friend and I had gotten together after graduation and we were directing a documentary on the global housing crisis. So as we were trained in the school of public interest design, right? How do you bring good design to more people? That was always a goal of mine and a lot of my friends in college. And so we set out to direct this film asking the question, how are designers, architects, builders in other countries trying to address the housing crisis? So we traveled to five cities in South America, Lima, Santiago, Rio, Sao Paulo, Bogota, interviewed architects, designers, governments, and we came across some interesting ways that these groups were trying to solve the housing crisis and reduce the cost of housing. One of those concepts was this idea of an incremental house. So the government only had so much money in subsidy for each project. So with that amount of money, they could either build a full-sized house with really, really poor quality materials, or they could build half of a good house. Hmm. So they basically built the kitchen, the bathroom, and one room. And they designed it so that other people could add on additions. So once the home buyer moved in, they could self-build the rest. That, I thought, that's a cool idea. Where'd that come from again? That was in South America. South and, America. And there were a couple projects that we visited in Peru and in Chile. I visited the Galapagos Islands and in Ecuador, I noticed the housing was being built in modules. And they asked, why did they have these steel beams or, or rebar sticking up? It's because the people will build later, will add to the house when they have money and time. So... That's exactly. the same concept. Exactly. It's a vernacular concept that a lot of people were doing just because they couldn't get a mortgage to go right. buy a bulk of a house. So they said, how much money can I save up in my pocket and what can I afford to build today? And then I'll add on in the future. So this is common practice in other countries. Mm -hmm. And in the US, because of the mortgage industry and because I think we're kind of a supersized, we think about the <laughs> yeah. supersized culture, we often say, okay, what can I buy for the next 
15 years. So it's something that existed in other countries. And we said, that's a really interesting idea. So my co-founders and I, Drew Brisley and Hallie Dumont, we joined together to start this company with the concept of an incremental home that could grow with you. But as we've been building this company, we've learned that really there's a need for a right-sized home here in the U.S. So when you talk about well-designed, give me a few attributes of what you define as well-designed. Good question. So we think about the user. For instance, in the house that we're sitting in, the thought and care that's put into So for this home, it's essentially an aging in place model. It's Mm -hmm. 880 square feet, all one story, one bedroom, one bath. And we've sized the kitchen such that someone can navigate the kitchen with a walker. We've thought about the front step, just having one step up to the entry, as opposed to elevating this house higher on the site. We've thought about the cabinet pulls, the way that you you are going to be opening and closing this if you are someone who's in a walker. We've also thought about the interior space as we're sitting here, we're looking up and you see the ceiling and this natural knotty pine ceiling that pulls the warmth from the cabinets into the home. It also pulls the warmth of the surrounding community garden that's across the street into the home. So things like that are things that maybe an architect would think about, but not necessarily the typical home builder might think about. So we're bringing a lot of those aspects and folding them into our projects. So how is this going over to move from this concept, this idea with your two other partners Obviously, to be sitting in this house today in 2019, from 2016, three years, what were some of the major events that happened in terms of commercial funding, partners, things like that? It's a very good question because in 2016, we basically built, I went to architecture school, so I built a couple little architecture models, scale models, like eighth inch models. Everything starts somewhere. I hope you kept them. (laughs) (laughs) We do have some of them. They were in a shoebox and that's what we'd carry around. Wow. And to go from that to... Finding our first customer was a long process, but we figured what was in the startup world, contrary to maybe the typical small business that's starting in the startup world, it's all about how do you find the minimum viable product that can get your business off the ground. So we had these cool models, we had some cool renderings, but that wasn't enough to convince people to let, at the time, two of us young founders go and start this home building company. So we needed to do something tangible. So we actually got into an accelerator, they call it a business accelerator program. Mm -hmm. So we got a little bit of funding, like $50,000 worth of funding. We got to go talk to mentors who had built businesses before and start to test out this concept that we were working on. And part of the feedback we got was, people want to be convinced that you guys can build something. Is it for real? Is it for real? Yeah. But We didn't have the money to go build a house on spec at that point, nor would a bank give us a loan to do that. So we built this project. Hallie, one of our co-founders, she has a background in residential remodeling and contracting. She actually built what we call the demo unit. So it was 200 square feet and it was a home office space, a standalone little cube, if you will. And it had a Murphy bed desk unit in there. It had a seating area. It had more or less the quality of finishes that we wanted inside of our home. There was no HVAC. There was electrical. There was no plumbing. And it wasn't hooked up. So this was a mobile demonstration unit that we actually moved to different vacant lots in the city of Pittsburgh for different events. People could walk through and say, wow, this is really nice. I like the natural light in this space. I like what you've done with the built-in furniture. So that was the first minimum viable product that we created. And that was in the summer of 2017 that we did that. We actually partnered with Comcast, believe it or not. Hmm. They actually 
wanted to showcase their smart home technology for their new X-Fi Wi-Fi system. Sure. So they outfit the space with the TV. You never know where it's going to come from, right? The funding, right? Yeah, exactly. So that was the first sort of pilot project that we did. And then from there, we said we're open for business and customers could then see designs. On, we developed four base designs. We put them on our website and customers could then fill out a reservation form, similar to Tesla, put down a little deposit and say, right. I want to get in line to buy one of your homes. So we'd take them through, walk those prospective customers through the demo unit, say, hey, this is kind of a sense of what it'll look like. And that's how we found our first customer. Who actually built the house? That demo, the Oh, MVP. Hallie built yeah. it in Brookside Lumber in Bethel Park. Wow. We had the materials right there. So we <laughs> bought the materials and just set up shop in one of their fact in their warehouse. And she built it over the course of a several weeks with her partner Jody. They had experience in residential remodeling, kitchens and baths. And it was probably the their first time doing ground up, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But it was fun. And we actually designed it to be mobile lifted by a telehandler, basically like a large forklift, so we can move it around to different places. Neat. So the house we're sitting in today, though, is this is your first? Yes. First actual one you've sold? Mm-hmm. Okay. Correct. And uh, you mentioned it's for aging in place or, or for that kind of aspect. Tell me a little bit about the material, the construction, the way it's built, because you told me earlier as we were touring around a little bit that it's net zero ready. Mm -hmm. And I think I saw a HERS rating on the counter. Yeah. Okay. So this project, again, was for a couple who owned a house in Pittsburgh and they bought the vacant lot that sits behind their home with the intent of building an in-law unit. There's this trend in development now called accessory dwelling units where you can build a granny flat on the back of your property. This, while it's a separate lot, it's basically a granny flat in-law unit at heart. Mm -hmm. And it's 880 square feet. And our client really wanted, they had some specific needs. It needed to be one story. They had lived in Europe and they had learned, they were a little bit educated on building performance. Cool. And so they wanted to push to passive house mm -hmm. standards. And they wanted to use prefab construction, right? We're in a quiet residential area and they were really curious about using prefab. So they had actually reached out to some modular manufacturers to look at this site, but because it's basically on an alley, they couldn't get a 50 foot truck around the corner Interesting. to get a mod here. Right. And so that's why we ended up going with a panelized project. So panelized, we could have smaller units delivered to the site and then installed with a crane. So we were trying to design a passive house standards. We got close. We didn't get certified. So energy performance, indoor air quality was really critical. So we hit a 42 Hertz rating. I think it's 2.6 air changes per hour. I was going to ask you what your blower was. I think the U value on the windows is 0.18, I believe. So those are kind of the stats of the project. Bensonwood was our manufacturer. So they built the panels in a factory and shipped them to Pittsburgh from New Hampshire. Walls, insulation windows, doors, those were all shipped. The windows were installed in the walls in the factory with zip sheathing on the outside and mm -hmm. taped. And then we put those onto this insulated slab in two days. We basically put the walls and roof together in two days, Wow, which was pretty cool to see. Yeah. Yeah. So you talk about well-designed and accessible to the average consumer. So your research has led you to believe that there's more people looking for this kind of choice or this kind of option. And with that, do you know of competition or are there different ways of skinning this cat? There are. I mean, at a high level, there are many companies focused on leveraging prefab construction and cutting the cost curve of housing. Mm -hmm. There's 
probably a dozen startups out there throughout the nation that are working on this problem. So there's a company called Katera with a K. They've raised a billion dollars and they want to basically industrialize residential construction through Tesla-like manufacturing Mm -hmm. facilities and totally vertically integrated supply chain. So they're a company that's out in Silicon Valley that's doing multifamily with prefab construction and they're trying to hit a price point that's accessible. There's a company out of Seattle called Blockable that's doing stacked volumetric boxes for multifamily housing. There's a company in California that's doing specifically prefabricated accessory dwelling units, so prefabricated backyard cottages. So there's various companies using prefab construction and trying to bring down the cost of housing. How we're uniquely positioned is we're in Pittsburgh, so we're serving the Pittsburgh market right now. And we think of ourselves as an integrated design build company for the Pittsburgh market. So we'll source the GC, we'll source the manufacturer, and we'll hold the hand of the customer through that process. We'll serve customers who own land and they want to build new. We'll serve customers who don't own land yet. And we're going to start getting into the spec construction game here in Pittsburgh. Interesting. So those are two markets that we'll serve. But one of the main differences between us and some of these other companies is we don't own a manufacturing facility. A lot of these companies went out to raise a bunch of venture capital and said, all right, we're going to go build a giant mega factory over there when they didn't have any customers in the door yet. So that's a big risk to take on. And that's a risk that we've offset by working with third-party manufacturers. Makes a lot of sense. So your funding start off with that accelerator. Is it self-funded? Are there external sources or do you have investors? So we have a couple of investors locally here in Pittsburgh and then some from other areas. So we have a few angel investors, just individuals who do startup investing. We've went through, Pittsburgh has a program called Innovation Works, mm-hmm. which is get state funding and they the University of Pittsburgh, maybe? It's or? actually funded by right? the state. So okay. the Ben Franklin Technology Partners oh, right, Program, right, yeah. they have funding to in Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, and I think in Penn State to start companies. So we got funding from them. And then we raised a little bit of money from a small venture capital group here. So we've raised about a million dollars over the last three years to date in that investment. And those are outside investors. Uh, And that's interesting to fold into a business versus the traditional home builder who may just be starting off with their own capital, bringing investors into the fold. They're really asking us, how do you scale this nationally? Not how do you build a small business here in Pittsburgh? So that's some of the questions that we're working through. So is that your vision? It is. It is. It's, I think step one is building a great housing brand here in Pittsburgh. And then step two is using the tools that we've created to build that here to scale it to other locations. So we're actually building out a digital platform where a customer comes to our website, they fill out a profile, current needs, future needs, financial health. We take in that information. We say, here's the lot that makes sense for you in Pittsburgh. Here's the house that makes sense for that lot. And this is your budget. And we've made that solution turnkey. Right. The whole integrated aspect. And so the theory is that that digital platform, along with a manufacturing partner, is something that other builders in other regions of the country could use. So once we develop those tools here in that process, then we want to almost like a franchise model where other folks could be building module homes in other parts of the country. I'm not sure we explored the full concept of module. Just want to spend a little bit of time with that. So the lot that we're sitting on here is maybe 40 feet wide? 25, okay. 22. <laughs> Got to recalibrate my eyes here. By 100 deep or 80 or something? About 100 deep. 100, okay. Obviously, not a lot of room to expand here, perhaps, unless it's up. Correct. 
But the overall plan, I looked at your website and everybody listening here should look at the website, which is, by the way, module housing, module housing, M-O-D-U-L-E housing.com. And you have different showing the, the scenario, the steps that you can take in adding actual modules. What's the recipe you have right now in terms of sizes and on features? Yeah. So most of our starter units, we have a one bedroom, two bedroom, three bedroom starter unit. And then we actually have a stack duplex where you can rent out the ground floor and then live above. So we have four starter units and their pricing is all on our website for those, which includes the house, the design and engineering costs. It doesn't include your land, foundation, and site work and utilities, right? right? Those are not included in those prices. But those are basically designed for infill Pittsburgh lots. So we can do 16 feet for the mod. On the panelized side, we can do 18. So 16 or 18 feet wide. So it is really meant for an infill lot. If Our product is not necessarily the suburban product where you have a lot of land to sprawl out on. We're really mm-hmm. working where land is a premium. Sure. And so 25 foot lot, we're the perfect size. And then our units are designed so that you can expand onto that. So add stories in the future. So we've thought about the floor plan with the back bedroom on the ground floor, eventually that turns into a guest bedroom and there's a stair that's put there. And then we've been designing a removable roof system that we're going to be testing out on our next project where we'll showcase, instead of having to rip the entire roof off and redo it, we've designed the roof so that you can remove that, add another box and put the roof back on. So that's something we're testing right now. I mean, that really illustrates the whole concept that would be uh, sort of icing on the cake. And you call them missing teeth lots on your website, I think. It's yeah. kind of interesting. It's Compared to other areas, Pittsburgh is a Rust Belt city. Yep. So we lost half our population after the steel industry collapsed. And so we have about 27,000 vacant lots. So if you think about Pittsburgh, you imagine half of the lots, half of the homes were at some point torn down. And now there's just a missing spot along the street. And those are the lots that we can really effectively build on. Do those lots, are they in public hands or private hands? They're in various hands sometimes. And we actually will help customers. So if you don't own land, you can fill out a form. And then we have lots that are available. So some of those are privately owned lots. Some of those are owned by the city of Pittsburgh. And some of them are owned by the Urban Redevelopment Authority. There's so many to choose from that we're trying to help customers basically source that property that's the right lot for their house. So what does the real estate market here think of you? (laughs) You should ask someone else. (laughs) Means of any reaction. I would say we've had a lot of realtors come through this house sure. since we've finished it. The mayor will tweet about us every now and then. Yeah. But I think the real estate market, we're working on a four unit project where we'll be developer on. When we finish that, I think the real estate market will take a second look and realize that we're making considerable progress. Sure. I think we're still just a, a very small entity right now. Most of the large commercial developers say, oh, that's cool. That's a niche thing. Right. But who knows? In five years, we might be saying, they're cool. That's <laughs> yeah, kind of a niche thing. Right. So you never know. You want to go old school? Or? <laughs> very, very nice. So how do you manage the HVAC in this kind of small space? For this project, we actually had a HERS Raider and a passive house consultant on this project. So we have two zones, one in the bedroom, one in the living space, and it's a mini split system, Mitsubishi mini split. It's okay to plug vendors, please. <laughs> My audience likes details. So. <laughs> so Mitsubishi mini split, and then we actually have an energy recovery ventilator in the master bedroom, and that's pulling in fresh air and pushing out stale air and preconditioning the air that's coming into the house. Who makes the ERV? I believe it's a Panasonic, but I'm not positive. And then the other component, when we think about HVAC, 
I would say is the building envelope. Mm -hmm. So we've got R38 walls. So actually inside the walls of this house, it's one of Bensonwood standard wall panels, which is a TGI joist. I think it's an eight and a half inch TGI joist. It's like a floor joist basically turned on its side. Dense pack cellulose as the insulation material and then zip sheathing on the outside. And then our windows are Passive House certified windows, Wasco, Genio windows, and they're triple pane. So they're really high performance windows. Mm -hmm. And those were all installed in the factory. So those seals were all done in the factory as well. The Brian sitting there in 2016 to the Brian sitting here in 2019, are you on the same path? Are you surprised with your progress? Are you a little disappointed? What's yeah. the feeling? It's great to have a completed home sure, for a customer, right? right? That's yeah. great. There's really exciting. We've grown our team. We now have seven people on our team, cool. which is interesting to manage a team from just yourself in a coffee shop, right? <laughs> your time is spent very differently. I think the problem is going to continue to be here. The fact that affordable housing is an issue around our country is not going away. Labor shortage in the in- construction industry is not going away. And the fact that we have these other types of home buyers who aren't being served, those three things are not going to go away. And those keep us motivated on the day-to-day of how do we continue to build this company. You always want to be scaling faster than you're scaling right. and moving quicker than you are. I think in the construction industry, we have to realize that there are things like zoning and permitting and things like that, that maybe if we were building a software company, we could go faster. Sure, sure. So I think you can always go faster. We've built a team. The one thing I will say is a lot of our inquiries on our website, we get several leads a week. It's been for a high-performance, well-designed home and not necessarily for an expandable home. Hmm. So we're going to test that on this next project, the expandable roof, and see if that – because that hasn't existed before. So customers can't necessarily visualize that. They're not really hungry for that product. So that's something that we'll test and validate. A, do we just need to build a really well-sized infill house? Or is there potential for this expandable component as well? In our business, we learned at True Tech Tools that you follow the leads the customer gives you and also what's available on the market to work with. A date ticket, Benson's been a great partner for you. Yeah, they were good. They've been building panels and homes up there for years and years. They're really experienced. And they were a good project when we're trying to push the envelope in terms of building performance. Mm -hmm. I think when our goal is a cost perspective, we're actually going to go with modular manufacturers. So there's several TA-based modular manufacturers. And so for our next project, we're actually using a modular manufacturing company called Structural Modulars, Inc. That's my builder. Yeah. That's that's my uh, factory, whatever. So they do a really good product and we're going to be working with them on our next house. Nice. I mean to give people kind of a flavor of your business where this is not a biography, but I'd like you to give you the opportunity to add anything else, any closing thoughts you might have. I'd be curious from the audience perspective to go check out. There's actually can have a virtual tour on our website. Nice. So people can walk through the house virtually and see what it looks like. But I'm always curious to see, get feedback. So if listeners go onto our website and just want to submit an inquiry and give us some feedback on the designs that we have or what their needs are, if they're looking to buy a house, what those needs are, we're always very curious to hear those things. So, And if someone were coming through town or were in town, wanted to talk with you, get visit like kind of your current project, you're open to that too? Oh yeah. We can actually, for the summer, we have tours of this house every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday from 11 to 1. And you can book a tour right on our website. Nice. Or people can reach me, brian at modulehousing.com. This next project that we're working on We're really excited about this four-unit project here in Pittsburgh where it would be a mixed-income housing project. So we'd have one affordable unit 
and then two other projects next to it. What neighborhood will that be in? It'll be in the Garfield. Garfield, okay. Garfield. And we're in Friendship we're in now? Friendship right yeah. now. Yeah, okay. What a cool name, by the way, for Pittsburgh neighborhood. So <laughs> people are listening from out of the area. <laughs> so that's a really exciting project that people can track on our website. And then the last thing that your audience might find interesting is every year we host an event called Defining the Future of Housing. April of this year, we hosted it, typically of about 150 people. It's an audience of builders, developers, building product partners. And we talk about where the construction industry is headed, where the housing industry is headed. And it's a really interesting event with some panel discussions and mini talks. So we'll host that again next year. You have a month in mind or time of year? It'll probably be in late spring or early summer. Yeah. And on your website, will people have information? People can actually see through our Facebook page, they can see some of the program from this year's event. Got it. Very nice. And it's really quite an accomplishment uh, you've made here. Something that obviously healthy, sustainable. Uh, you talked about some of the materials me in, in person here and just a lot of great construction, being resource conscious, energy efficient, and very comfortable. I got to say, it's just nice in here. There's a bright blazing sun outside the windows, but you really don't feel it, but it feels nice and bright and airy in this space. So Congratulations, you and your team on taking your idea into reality. Thanks, Bill. You're welcome. Okay, so that's it for this podcast. And I want to thank Brian again and the team at Module for offering his time up here and his space. And again, you can get in touch with them at modulehousing.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Building HVC Science Podcast. If you want to keep up with things that I find interesting, and our company is working on, you can follow True Tech Tools or follow me on Facebook. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor of the podcast, please email me at bill at truetechtools.com. Sometimes we talk about topics that require some technical training for proper, safe execution. If you're a trained pro, you can go ahead and do it. But if you're not, please consult with and hire a pro. The Building HVAC Science Podcast is a production of True Tech Tools. And thank you for listening. We'll be back at you next time. Take care. Thank you.